From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 771, Managing Digital Transformation with guest Stephanie Donahue. Recorded Monday, March 15th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Stephanie Donahue, who has, I'm going to say, more than 20 years of experience in the IT sector these days. Because she's been doing this for a while, as, as, as have I. And she is a leader and an innovator and a skilled problem solver and has a passion for technology and innovation that has led her to co-found the Pate Group. And uh, I think this is like the third time I've checked in with you because I always appreciate your stories, Stephanie. You've been working on some cool stuff. We've been having a lot of fun this year, for sure. Wow. Yeah, I got to imagine in the consulting, like, did digital tra- move to the cloud? Did it just take over your world? It has been incredible watching the transformations happen Mm -hmm. for organizations. And, you know, we did already have some that were on board with going to the cloud. You always have that set that that you're kind of working with. But then when COVID hit and quarantine came, we saw this huge influx of people going to the cloud. And of course, in the beginning, we kind of didn't know where things were headed. And some folks were trying to go it alone. And some were desperate for training. And then, you know, everything in between help us implement it all the way through. Right. And so it's been an incredible year to watch just, you know, even even down to, you know, going to my doctor's office and <laughs> the doctor's office, you go in, they give you the same piece of paper every year and you're writing the same information. Yikes. You know, I've had the same doctor for 15 years and I'm still writing <laughs> the same address and it's ridiculous. Right. But this year I walk in and they're like, Oh, just confirm this information. Yep. You're good to go. And I'm like, wow, finally, you right? finally did some automation. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's, we definitely seen a bunch of stuff bump forward. Uh, you know, I ended up doing a whole pandemic series on run as last year. And one of the themes I heard over and over again is like, there was all this stuff was on our roadmap. It just wasn't priority. This was a shuffling of priorities, not a reinvention per se. We just accelerated a bunch of tasks that we didn't think we needed to rush through quite so fast. And it's funny how that happens, isn't it? Where we just kind of like, oh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Right. And then we, we make excuses and no one, you know, people aren't ready or we don't think they'll use it yet. And then all of a sudden you have a reason like quarantine to suddenly work remote and everything's got to go digital overnight. Yeah. And suddenly it just happens and yeah. you make it happen and everyone figures it out because they have to. And so you kind of look back at those excuses and you think, well, you know, was it really that bad? No, we all made it over. It may not be as clean as we would have liked. We've yeah. got a lot of cleanup to do these days, um, but everybody made it. And and I think for the most part, we're seeing, you know, dramatic transformation and it's very positive across the board to the companies that have been able to make that leap. Yeah. I think one of those, terms that came out of the conversations last year while this was going on on mass was this well we're already uncomfortable we might as well do the uncomfortable things yeah <laughs> and kind of just that that whole concept of change you know i don't i don't want anyone to move my cheese i don't want to change the way i'm doing things well 
your desk went from the office to home and your laptop went with you and now you have kids in the background and and guess what we're just we're just gonna work anyway because it's important because we we need to feed our families and we needed to figure this out and and we just do and it's funny how when given the right initiative you can make change more easily because you're just open to it you're you have an open mind to okay what do I got to do to get this done? And and you do it. Yeah, I almost wonder if it it gave us permission to take those risks because we, again, it wasn't our fault now. It's like the pandemic has required us to do these things to continue to function. It's none of our faults. There's going to be problems and that's okay because, you know, we didn't do this. It just happened that way. Uh, which is funny. It's a funny little psychological game, really. Oh, fear is a huge factor. And that's something that's the reason why when we're going through this whole change management process and driving digital transformation in an organization, we have to spend a ton of time on education because we need to help those that are making the decisions, the stakeholders. We have to help them buy in. Right. This is safe. This is secure. We will take you through it in a way that your users will adopt the software. If you're making that investment, you're scared. As an IT person, you're afraid that your decision making will cause the company grief, right? right? That number one, you could be, you know, we hear all this stuff right now about the security breaches that are happening. Mm-hmm. The cloud is kind of big and scary when when you don't know what's going on out there, or how to configure things yet. The cloud feels really intimidating and very open, even though it's very secure, it kind of feels wide open when you first yeah. look at it. And and then kind of secondly, you're afraid, well, what if I spend all this money on this technology and then they don't use it. Yeah. And this is big waste of an effort, right? Which those things never, <laughs> that that part of it doesn't tend to happen. No. It's just kind of what's in our head. We think no one's going to use it. But but in reality, we have all this shadow IT anyway. But that fear, the fear around those two things are just, that's really what drives people to drag their feet because they want to be absolutely certain. And, and COVID just gave us no choice. And, and like you said, Without that fear in place, it allowed us to be more creative. It allowed us to tackle things in a way that made sense for the business and the organization. And, and we just moved forward with it. Well, and the safe place had been taken away. So you you kind of, you also were, you weren't prepared to fail. You weren't going to fail, but you was okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Because there wasn't that, you shouldn't have done this. Let's just go back to the old way. That wasn't an option. So, yeah. you know, it's it's the old, we, they burn the ships thing. So, the ships are burned. <laughs> that bridge is gone. Yeah. There's no bridge. Yeah, There's you no have to backwards. find a way forward. And we're all going to soak up some struggles as we find that way forward. But an interestingly, I mean, fairly common theme, and I don't know if that's true for you, is that for the most part, people have been delighted at where they landed. Like, there's a lot of good up here, too. There is so much good. And the result has been we've been able to take on this very, like, flexible work from home culture. So Mm -hmm. we're not only enabling people to work from home, but even as our offices have opened back up, we've been able to slip back into hybrid. We've noticed that a lot of our processes that were kind of clunky and paper-based and things that were sitting on desks before or waiting in mailboxes, we've kind of resolved all of that. You you get into something like Microsoft Teams, you have real-time feedback on documents. Mm -hmm. You're working on one version of the document. You've got multiple people in the document at the same time. I mean, All of these things we kind of had to do because we were all online, we're all on a video call together, we're all talking, we're all working on the same document. All of a sudden, all of those old habits disappear and we're like, wow, this really does work. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you can see those changes happening real time in front of you. And it actually saves you a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is curious. And, and, and I have heard this theme fairly often now is in this new workflow, we were actually getting enough done that it's like, you need, did not work quite so many hours. Like, I think we got, we also got real anxious for our jobs and we worked more time and wise managers. Yeah. And again, I think some of like things, tools like M365 help instrument this where you sort of see, hey, people are, my team's working too much. Like, not only are we getting a lot done and this is really cool and da, 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 but it's like, y'all need to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've all, we've all had those discussions with, with our employees. Like, look, you know, you, you've lost your commute time to work yeah. in a lot of cases. You're dropping the kids off. You don't have to leave early for a ball game. And so those days just get stretched and yeah. you have that extra time. And that's why I think Microsoft really pushes that, that whole well-being thing. They've got this whole initiative for talking about how do you replace that time in the morning? You mm -hmm. have like a virtual commute. Can you just play music or just, you know, have a dance party in your office for a second before, you know, because so many of us crank the music on the way to work and just relax for a minute. You let your brain drift and you're thinking about all the things for work and maybe personal. And it kind of gives you time to organize your day. Yeah. Oh, I really got to get this done when I get in. And if you just go straight in, you know, you kind of lose that centering time. And I think um, Microsoft's really understanding that and trying to bring those things to the surface. I, I also find it fascinating. Like there's some aspects of the Cortana emails and the intelligence emails. Before. Like This could be creepy. And so far, it seems to be useful. Like, hey, thanks for that insight. Like, I do occasionally get an email from Cortana. It's like, you didn't follow up on this, right? Or that did get yeah. resolved. Like, they, and, you know, if you want to freak yourself out, it's like, you're right. The tool's parsing the email. Notice the question asked or and is checking to see if you answered it. Yeah. And for me, it scolds me on a regular basis. It says that I... <laughs> <laughs> I respond to emails too quickly. It's like you respond to the majority of your emails within 30 minutes. And I'm like, wow, that's a little obsessive. Yes. I <laughs> probably. And so then, you know, later it'll prompt you and say, do you want to block time to answer emails? Do you want to block focus time? You know, do you, do you need to block a 15 minute break? And I say yes to all those things mm -hmm. now, because if I don't, I sit at my desk for 10 straight hours and I don't move or barely get up long enough to get, you know, a drink or to get lunch barely, but I eat over sure. my desk. And it's those little reminders. Hey, get up and walk around a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's also worth to try these suggestions too. Maybe it doesn't work for you and you go back. Uh, my Cortana email this morning told me I'm 100% on time for my meetings. <laughs> Mine would never tell me that. <laughs> I am perpetually two to three minutes late for everything. You probably saw that today with when I have done this one. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but I think all of these things are, are really helping us kind of readjust to the new way of working. And yeah. what's great is that I don't think we're ever going back to the way things used to be. I think that... Um, you know, people, especially management, have seen that people are loyal and they right. are going to work. And and like you said, long hours even. And so that flexibility, there's so much more trust built now. And all of that flexibility kind of comes into play where I can have that hybrid scenario. I can come in when I want to. I can, I can stay home when it's more convenient. I can work my life in and out of my work. And for, you know, for me personally, it's always been that way. But for those that have been very office bound, it's transformative. And, mm -hmm. and the surveys are showing like, 
people don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to the office full time. They want that flexibility and they want the choice. Yeah, that, that there's a and there's a mental health aspect of that. In the middle of the week, I could go do that field trip with my kid and not make it a favor from my employer. That is like, no, that keeps you sane. That actually makes you a better worker and you are getting your 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 work done ultimately. Although I do appreciate you've taken a very positive spin on this. So the other side of this is like the work from home genie is out of the bottle. Now, when we had to work, you told us for years we couldn't work from home. Now, when we had to work from home, yeah. now we have work from home. You don't get to take that back. Like, that's just how that is. But I do hope folks have measured that productivity meaningfully to, to show the value of it. I, I mean, I also think there's lots of people that have a positive memory of going to work that isn't real. That when they do start commuting again, they're going to be reminded, hey, commuting kind of sucks <laughs> and takes a lot of time and want to do less of it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'd love to see the hybrid model stay yeah. because I'm one of those people. Sometimes I want to be home, but I also need people and I want to be in front of people at times, too. So I love the idea of hybrid. I love what Microsoft is mm -hmm. doing with Teams where you you can have half the people in the office. You can have half of them at home. Everyone's kind of presented on the screen and with Microsoft Teams in kind of a unified manner. Because I think the problem before was always if you had 10 people in the office and two remote, those two remote people never felt like yeah. they were included. Especially fully. if they were always remote. Yeah, if they're yeah. always remote, it was kind of hard to hear. They couldn't really see reactions of the people in the room. And I think the technology has come to meet us in the middle now. And now we have kind of the perfect merger yeah. with the way the software works to allow us to be more productive in that scenario. So I think it's the right thing at the right time. For sure. You know, before the pandemic, I, I talked to folks who were encouraging people when they had that scenario. It's like two people are always remote. You know, what we should do is like, let's go, at least a few of us go not necessarily home, but maybe work from the office, don't be in the meeting room, just to have the same experience as remote people. But the pandemic gave us all remote experiences. So at least there's empathy across the board for that. It also makes me wonder when we do come together, it's like, hey, we should bring us all together. Like what if the one day a week the team actually is together is kind of a celebration too, that it becomes its own power because we value it more. Absolutely. And I think the the flexibility on the flip side, too, and kind of when we are remote, seeing each other's families, you know, the cats are running across yeah. the screen. That's and another cat. That's another genie out of the bag, right? It's just like, hey, yeah. I have a life. You know, pets are part of it. And and kids needing support are part of it. And, and uh, yeah. we just accept that. And instead of trying to like hide them, yes. like they don't exist, we just acknowledge them and we continue. I've seen more men with infants on their lap in the middle of a serious conference call in in the past six months to a year than I've seen. I mean, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Right. And, you know, occasionally in a very comfortable group of women, you might see that, but it was mostly unacceptable. And now we just like, we just keep going. We joke, we're like, hey, how's your assistant today, right? We had a baby on the call this morning. It happens. And and sometimes your schedule gets screwy or sometimes the kids are home on a snow day. We don't have to hide them anymore. We just kind of accept that as being part of our day and accept the fact that it doesn't mean we're not working. It just means we're kind of blending life occasionally. And, and I love that. I think it's going to be better. And again, that's another mental well-being thing. Absolutely. I don't have to worry about hiding my family. This is just who I am. Yeah. I had a, I was doing an, a, uh, an interview as I often do with, with a, um, Microsoft employee. 
And her young daughter came running into the middle of it. And I said, don't worry about it. And we chatted for a bit. And she said to him, do you recognize that voice? And and I talk for a moment. She goes, it's the rocket ship man. She'd been playing my geek outs on space stuff <laughs> yeah. with uh, with the kids in the room. So they recognized my voice. So then we had a whole other conversation. And we eventually got back to the interview. But, you know, a great 10-minute interlude. Like just pure enjoyment, actually, to have some fun with that. And talk it's about a nice rocket break. Ships. It is. It's real. It's, it's real. For the kids to see. Yeah. It's we, it's good for the kids to see what mom and dad do yeah. and to get exposure to that. You know, so many kids come out of high school and they have no idea what they want to do and they have no idea what the business life is like. They've had zero exposure to it. You know, my kids have grown up with me doing conference calls in the car and you know working from home and they've always kind of been around and so you know they they have a really good idea. They know who my coworkers are by the sound of their voice. Yeah. Because they've just been around it. Yeah. I think it's a great thing for them to be exposed to as well very valid part of it and and stephanie i'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message this episode of run as is brought to you by sequel intersection back at the swan hotel in orlando june 6th to 10th you've heard the sequel q a shows we publish on run as twice a year from sequel intersection that is a microcosm of the five days of awesome learning available to you from the real world consultants and members of the sequel server team that speak at the show Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the closing session of SQL Intersection and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. SQL Intersection is at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida. June 6th to 10th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at sequelintersection.com. And I'll see you there. And we're back. It's RUNAS Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Stephanie Donahue. And we're talking a bit about this year of digital transformation. Uh, earlier in the conversation, because I think we've waxed poetic about how much fun it is to do this when you get to the end part. You're talking about the planning, like what you were doing with organizations that came to you wanting help with this. Can you sort of talk through the pieces? Like what are the parts that make a transformation successful? Yeah, one of the big pieces that you really need to sit down in the beginning and kind of talk about what it is you want from this transition. Mm -hmm. And I think the the challenge is that a lot of uh, it's a lot of IT because you're talking about moving content from one space to another, which right. you tend to think of that as upgrades and migrations, a very technical process. But what actually needs to happen is the sit down with the business and your stakeholders to understand where's their content, how do they work, and get out of this um you know, department-based mindset and really figure out how you work. What groups work together from a functional perspective? Is it across departments? Is it for a project? You know, we, we really talk about a lot of those things because when it comes down to it, if you want one source of the truth and you, you can't have four different documents across four departments yeah. in each different stage of, of the process, right? You need one area that manages that document where everyone has access. So it really becomes purpose-driven collaboration is as opposed to very department driven collaboration. And so we talk a lot about those things. How do we help people understand how to reorganize and bring multiple systems into one place? Because that's the other great thing about Teams and SharePoint. We're doing a lot of migrations, not just from file shares, but legacy intranets, third party document management systems. 
everything's going into one place. And right. So we really have to make sure and organize it well. And Exchange Online has great tooling around the stopping you from using your email as the file system, right? That it actually gets those shared documents into a shared location. I, I, I know folks on with on-prem exchange have worked very hard to try and do that to force into SharePoint and so forth. But M365 does that way better. Like it's just its natural behavior is no, no, that's a link to a shared file with, with change control on it. You could, and then everybody has the same copy of the truth. Yeah. The defaults now, you know, you go to attach a document and it actually just attaches it as a link. If you're not paying attention, right. It's trying to create those behaviors to say, Hey, you really want to attach this or do you really want to send a link? So just kind of defaulting those behaviors. How do I send something to someone without creating another copy of it, which needs to be merged back in later. And it does take some time to kind of work through those changes. Um, But definitely by the end, you know, you, you, you give people a little bit of time to adjust to that. And it's, it's tremendous what you can do when you only have one copy, one document, you're not searching, you know, version five, version six, version yeah. eight. No one knows where version seven is, yeah. those sorts of things. Um, it, it really, it really helps productivity and it makes your search results so much better, yeah. so much more accurate because you're not wading through old files. You actually get the numbers in sequence. There's version eight, final version, eight, final, final version, eight, really? Yeah. No, I mean it this time. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Okay. And the other one new, like the new version, <laughs> yes. because it's new, but then it's new for five years and no one knows if new is the new version anymore. Yeah. Like, or is it age? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is not how you do that. And then, and incredibly, we've had these tools for ages, but they, it hasn't been that easy to use them. This was a great time to shake all this up and to try and keep it going. I really appreciate your idea of especially the cross team stuff. Like when we were working in the office, and you had three or four people work on something, you could keep straight on a file. But as soon as this is something that needs to be sent to that other team, you do need a little more rigor around that. So finding those and making sure you get that workflow work for them, because they that's got to be an existing pain point. It always is. Yeah. And it's always the first thing you hear because they're going to push a bunch of information into one team. And then the first question is, well, how do I give so-and-so access, but they just need access to this one folder. And you're like, hold up, let's have a conversation. Because mm-hmm. it's usually it's usually an indicator that that document's in the wrong place. But we have to break that mentality of the file folder structure in order to get them to the place where, okay, let's, let's tease this you know, team apart and figure out what documents should really be where, who has permission, who's contributing, who's reading only, and then going from there on where it belongs. Um, But that's really kind of the beginning of it. And it's also, you know, super important to be communicating these changes. Mm -hmm. Because I think the other thing that happens is that IT comes in, they move your stuff, and then you can't find anything. It's totally, (laughs) you know, it's organized. It's great. It's in a fantastic place. And they're like, but I can't find it. And if your business can't find anything or they don't know what's going on or they haven't been trained, all of that effort is is worthless, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you need to make their life easier. That's what you're there for. Yeah. You, you're, they actually need to be able to find those things. and it, But it is useful to get it more organized and to have that concept of a project broader than any one team and and manage those things accordingly. And to show safety to it, too. I've, I've talked to a fellow who... You know, the best thing he ever did was show them, hey, here's the three-month-old version of that file. You know, you were wondering about what it looked like back then. I can get that for you. And and <laughs> so that they could see that really nothing's ever lost. You are maintaining that chronology and don't have to, you know, have to hide your own copies of things because they're, they, uh, the all the old versions are available. 
Did you primarily see this all as an M365 thing? Like, was that what people were really needing to do? It's Teams, uh, you know, OneDrive for Business, uh, Exchange Online, SharePoint? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. But what's interesting is, you know, that was the first push. That Mm -hmm. initial push is all very document-driven, intranet-driven. How do we collaborate? How do we work remote? Um, and then once you get to that space, then the other questions start coming. Hmm. Well, now, how do I, how do I send this for approval? If I'm sending a link, like how do I, am I still sending an email? And then you start getting into the power platform and I need a form for this. I need a, a workflow for this, you know, and, and those things start happening very quickly once they're already in the platform because it's very easy for them to start visualizing. Oh, well, if I can send it this way, how do I get this? you know, automated a little more, it just starts the wheels turning for them once they start seeing those things. So we also get into um, not just corporate, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see it push into the, the frontline or the first line workers too, because corporates made this huge push. And now we're kind of reaching that point where, gosh, you know, we kind of need to do these things for for the folks out on the manufacturing plant floor, or we need to do them for the nurses that are out on, you know, in the nursing stations throughout the hospital. And so we're not only experiencing this like dramatic digital transformation in corporate, it's, it's very quickly seeping into our frontline workers as well, which Mm -hmm. I think is really exciting because they are, I feel like that, that area has been neglected for so long. Um, They can you know, they get the laptops that, you know, they're still running Windows 7 and 2020 and yeah. they're just kind of managing because no one wants to touch the business critical applications. So they don't want to upgrade anything. Um, so I really think that we're starting to see that make a huge transformation leap there, too. Yeah, I we've done a few shows around Windows Virtual Desktop, which seemed to come into its own in 2020. And it was specifically those old LOB apps that didn't work well over the VPN and were a pain in the butt to keep up to date on remote workstations. And just to keep them back in the servers and you just have a client that's able to poke into them. I don't know if that was work you you did in, in some of your consulting practice as well, but that that's a really interesting tool. Yeah, I actually, I spent a lot of... A, a- maybe several years on one particular kind of a merger and acquisition situation where they virtualized everyone's desktops. And so we had to make every legacy application available on this virtual desktop. Let me tell you, I feel like I earned my keep (laughs) during those days. It was brutal and nobody likes their cheese moves and it was really drastic back then. So yeah, it was, it was ugly. And I, and I don't like that kind of extremist solution too, right? That everything had like there, it's almost a a mentality of like, there has to be one right way. It doesn't have to be like that. And, and I think that was, that was the big thing is that they were fighting um, as they bought out these smaller organizations and integrated them in. Then they were not only losing control of that smaller organization, but they were changing the way that they required them to work on their internal systems. And so call it the dark days because it was it was a lot of people not happy, yeah. um, but it was easier to maintain. It was a lot easier from an IT perspective sure. to maintain um, the, the way they were doing that. So, yeah. Sometimes, you know, change changes has not always traditionally been easy on the user, but no. I think that part definitely getting better these days. But when I when I work at what, the way M365 works, that's a suite that you, you know, don't have to virtualize. It can be on the desktop or it can be in browsers. Uh, and in many of the power platform pieces work the same way. But then it's it is that really important app that was written years ago uh, that everyone's vaguely afraid of. 
that's probably not secure too. Like IT is terrified of it also. Now Definitely that, not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and And now it's like, how do you make that available externally? And the reality is, the developer is often no longer with the organization. Sure. Yeah. And so I think it's, I think we've all had a pretty big lesson on um, custom homegrown applications that don't have documentation. Yeah. We've a lot, a lot of IT, like technical debt in that space right now that we're working our way out of as we transition to the cloud. Sure. Well, and, and um, I've done shows around the power platform and I'm going to do more because I do think it's an emerging force that, these folks that have been shuffled around, right? We've moved their cheese. They found how their cheese works. And now they've given, given, they've made tools available to them to make it easier to, you know, I think we're building a new generation of domain expert developers that are not professional developers. They're inside of the organization. They actually do the work and now are starting to tinker with what the automation tools can do for them. Absolutely. And I, there's, I think the, the big scary thing right now is that we've got people in there that are not necessarily developers. We kind of have that citizen developer and, and IT is going, should we let them? Should we not let them? How do we support them? So there's a whole other conversation around how do we make sure and set appropriate expectations if we allow everyone in the organization to create their own forms or their own workflows? How in the world is IT supposed to be able to support all of that and, and creating levels of support based on did IT create it? Did the user create it? How important or critical is it to the business right. and how to prioritize support? And it's, how they uh, might... it's very interesting. We've had this problem before, right? This when it when a SharePoint ran rampant through the organization. When team like if you leave teams ungoverned, you end up with way too many teams. It's like, hey, we have our uh, 200 employees and 600 teams. How did this happen? But if you lock it down too soon, if you presume how, you know how people use it, you may they may not use it. Like you, it's one of those. The, the line a friend of mine threw to me, another IT guy, is like, you got to let the puppy run, but not until the puppy barfs. <laughs> right? like, they have to be but able like, to explore. I call it the fenced-in backyard. Right. You give them room to play, but hopefully they won't run out into the street, right? right. <laughs> so it's got to kind of keep them contained, put the barriers in place so that, you know, they're not accidentally sharing information they shouldn't share. And that you know, we had connectors early on that would just share information out, but creating that barrier where they can go out and create and, and fix their own processes. But at the same time, you know, from a security standpoint, we're still kind of locking things down. And certainly from a scalability point too, from it's making it manageable. Yeah. But I, I mean, what I like about those new tools is they are already in the cloud. They're, they've got pretty good, pretty good security and instrumentation. So you may not know where you need to put the fences right now, but it's easy to see and easy to adjust as you learn. Uh, and they're savvy to that diversity of clients. It, it's going to work on a phone and it's going to work on a tablet. So those frontline workers have a better shot at having these things and maybe replacing a couple of those old legacy apps bit by bit with some of these new tools. Yeah. And what's, fun about all of that is that you don't even sometimes they don't even know right mm -hmm. so you'll put something in front of them and they'll ask for yeah i will run this on a tablet you design it for a tablet and a couple of weeks later they're running around with their their cell phone right and they're putting it in their cell phones you're like <laughs> what happened i thought you were using the tablet they're like yeah oh, it's so easy to use now i just 
pull it up on my phone and then I don't have to carry my tablet around. And, you know, it just gives them so much flexibility and they loved it because now they don't have to tote this heavy tablet around with them to be able to, you know, do this audit form that they were working on. So, you know, I think that's pretty cool too, to be able to watch them kind of pivot with the technology and not even realize themselves what they truly wanted or needed. Um, just because it's, you know, it's just the way we've always done it. And that's what they asked for. Yeah. A lot of that always done it stuff is broken. I think a lot of the, but also this, well, we'll get it right the first time thing is also broken. That you, that it's better to talk, try, test, yes. adjust, and try again. And, and, you know, maybe we have the pandemic to thank for that, that we just had to do that this past year and everybody's a little more comfortable with it. And maybe we should keep doing that. Absolutely. We've always been a big fan of doing the proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Get it in their hands. Help them understand what it is. And it, because when they give you requirements, they're only working on what they know. Yeah. There's a big gap between what's possible and what they know. So you need to find out what are their pain points? How do they work? What What's the outcome that they're driving for? And then map the technology to that. Because really, truly, if you ask them, what do you want? Well, nobody knows what a SharePoint yeah. is when you first start, right? Yeah, they, they, nobody knows what a Power App is. The line so is, um, it's, it's the old Henry Ford, which apparently he never actually said. It's like, if I asked the customer what they want, they'd say faster horses, <laughs> right? Faster horse. Yeah. Yep, exactly. But, that, but that's totally sensible in the sense of typically when you ask them blind, when you ask folks out working in the field blind, what, what do you want? They want to keep doing what they're doing, but easier. Yeah. Right. Faster horses. Yeah, they, sure. they do not know what the other tools can do. They don't know what the other form factors could do for them. That's a much harder thing. And then you're also not the domain expert. So you don't necessarily know what they could do either. You kind of have to mix the two things together and watch. Hands on. I think hands on is everything. Yeah. Watch how they work. Watch what's easy. Watch the thing that you might have put in there thinking you're saving them time may actually cost them time because of the way they go about the process. Mm-hmm. So you don't know these things until you're going through a hands on QA process. So we're we're big on very quick proof of concept and then iterate, iterate, iterate yeah. from there because it just takes some time to get it exactly where it's going to be really functional for them. And it's it, maybe never perfect it's like let's get them if it's 80 percent, it's still way better than it was before sure yeah it's a that's a tremendous amount of success to get to the 80 percent mark really because it it makes such a difference there i mean that's the fun part of this industry is our yields are really really high we're not looking for one two five percent improvements in things it's possible to get a tenfold improvement you know those exist it is and it's it, and it's it's okay to fail, like you said, fail fast, fail early. Yeah. We're not doctors, you know. This yeah. like it's not the end of the world if the form doesn't work right or something's not yeah. quite right. It's more important to get it out there quickly and and get their hands on it so they can give you that feedback. And I think that's the great part about this is that you can be really creative when you're given the space to for a little bit of failure and a little bit of you know try again. Let's get this right. Exploration and challenges, and yeah, I think you're really powerful. Uh, and you, and occasionally you will turn up a gem, like you'll just find a dramatically better way to do things. Uh, well, Stephanie is always a ton of fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for this. It sounds like it's been a crazy year for you too. And, uh, like, but you helped a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You know, we've had a lot of fun this year and I expect the next, you know, I don't even know how many years. I think we've had a lot of fun stuff ahead of us because mm-hmm. this is really, I think that just the beginning, I think there's a lot of really great productivity and improvements and and things happening across the board as people move to the cloud. So I'm, I'm super excited. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. 